This is Works in Progress, a production of the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Few things strike fear into the hearts of college students like the words organic chemistry. Neil Garg wants students not just to pass their organic chem class, he wants them to actually enjoy it. I think organic chemistry, you know, since I was a kid and I'm sure well before that, it's had a really bad reputation. And when students come in to take a class like that, they're not expecting much from that course. On the flip side, if they end up really enjoying the class, thinking that it's intellectually stimulating, thinking that they've learned problem-solving skills that they can use for every other course and well beyond their time at UCLA, that's something they really um, remember and they enjoy. Garg is a distinguished professor and the Kenneth N. Trueblood Endowed Chair in Chemistry and Biochemistry at UCLA. His undergraduate class, Chem 14D, Organic Reactions and Pharmaceuticals, has been called one of the school's most popular classes. He engages the students in artistic and creative expression, using innovative and out-of-the-box teaching methods to make what can be a very dry topic more fun and engaging. His students have created hundreds of chemistry-related music videos, an app that creates 3D renderings of molecules, and online science tutorials that have been watched around the world. Garg will join a panel discussion on the question, what is humor, as part of the UCLA Arts-led series, 10 Questions. In this episode of Works in Progress, I talk to Garg about his passion for education and about using humor to get students excited about chemistry. Yeah, the students are um, always terrified of organic chemistry, and many of the students that are taking the class, they're bound to go to medical school, some sort of a career in the health sciences, where taking organic chemistry, being able to understand it and solve problems is important to, for example, pass the MCAT or do well on the MCAT exam. So students are a little bit worried about it from the beginning. Maybe they've heard it's a lot of memorization. It's a weed out class. They're worried if they don't do well then perhaps they'll suffer on the MCAT, then they won't get into medical school, et cetera. So for a lot of the students, the stakes are high. We see students who are uniformly a little bit terrified. <laughs> In the case of the class that I was teaching, Chem 14D, it's the last class in the chemistry sequence for pre-health students. So these are not chemistry or biochemistry majors. They're students that are looking at medical school and they're looking for it to be over. Right, but you've pulled the students before and after, and you found that their enthusiasm for chemistry went way up after. For many of them, they're much more excited about chemistry after taking the class. That's right. So at the beginning of the class, about uh, 10% or so will say their interest in the subject is high. Some will say medium, but the vast majority of the students say their interest in organic chemistry is low, right? That's at the beginning of the class. At the end, what we see is uh, you know, basically a complete flip. We'll see about two-thirds of the class now say their interest in organic chemistry is high. Uh, the rest, except for you know maybe five students in a class of 400, will say medium. And just those last five or so students will say it's low. So we're able to really transform um, the students' perception of what organic chemistry is about. And partly that's from making chemistry relevant to the students, right? So on day one, you talk about why students should care about chemistry. And what do you tell them? Why is it relevant to our daily lives? Yeah, it's it's amazing, right? When I took organic chemistry, I really didn't have much of an appreciation of how impactful it is on our lives and on society and on the planet in general. So I like to start off by making sure, uh, now on the flip side, being in the educator's seat, 
if these are students who are not intending to study chemistry beyond taking this class, I want them to know that it's important because many of them will go off to be medical doctors. They'll be prescribing medications. Most of these are organic molecules, and most of them are made by and can only be made by organic chemistry. So especially if I'm teaching to the pre-health students, I like them to appreciate the connection between organic chemistry and medicine. And uh, there's many, many other um, applications of organic chemistry. Of course, for those types of students, we talk about DNA, proteins, anything in our body that's organic. These are great things for us to uh, talk about as a class. And we can even talk about modern technology, curved displays, OLEDs. The O for OLEDs is uh, organic because there are organic molecules in these devices. So there's so much to talk about with regard to the practical applications of organic chemistry. But really importantly, these students, these are uh, really great, bright problem solvers. And so I let them know that this class is also a vehicle to learn how to solve really, really tough problems. And that'll help them with everything they take after organic chemistry and everything they do for the rest of their lives. Right. When it comes to creativity and problem solving, you said that one student said that they felt like Sherlock Holmes after taking this class. <laughs> so it's not just memorization, or is it some memorization and some critical thinking too? This is part of the the challenge with organic chemistry. It's, you know, for many students, by the time you take organic chemistry, you may have taken a number of science classes before that, that do require a lot of memorization. I think for me, when I took biology, the way it was taught for me, it required a lot of, you know, what I would say is brute force memorization. You know, I would highlight sections of a textbook. I'd write things down. I would memorize them. I would have flashcards, all that stuff. When I took physics, I would plug things into equations. Don't know if I really understood it, but I knew what equation to use and uh -huh. I could get the problem right. When I took organic chemistry, what was different, and this is the same for the students today, is that it's a vocabulary that most students haven't seen. And so they do have to learn, you know, these new words, these new phrases. <laughs> and so how students do that, I think at the end of the day, it's a mix of practice and, and memorization. But when I took the course, I personally, I solved problems. And in order to solve those problems, I would look up things and I would get the vocabulary by practicing rather than the brute force memorization. That being said, some students will still make flashcards to make sure they do learn some of that vocabulary that way but um, they'll ultimately practice a lot. And as you practice, you get better at learning that vocabulary. Once you learn that vocabulary, that's where now you can start seeing problems, questions you've never seen before, and you can rationally think your way through things. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you ended up becoming an organic chemist? Did you grow up wanting to study chemistry? How did you end up on this path? Sure, I most definitely did not grow up wanting to uh, be a chemist or definitely not an organic chemist. I grew up in a little town called Fishkill, New York. It's a ways north of New York City, maybe 90 miles or so. And um, yeah, a small town. <laughs> not much else to say. I, I had a lot of great friends and uh, we like to have a good time. To have a good time, one needed to uh, make money. So as, as soon as I was old enough to get a job, I, I got a job. So I I sold knives for Cutco, so I was a door-to-door -door knife salesman. I did the dog census for the town of East Fishkill. Basically walked door-to-door -door asking people if they had dogs to make sure those dogs were licensed. And then I got a job at Blockbuster Video. <laughs> so that's really how I spent my time. 
But my parents were engineers, an older brother that was pre-med, and I had a good school. You know, the school I went to was, it was a good school, and they did have a lot of focus on science and math, and I did fine in those. So by the time I went to college, I don't know if I really had a lot of ambitions or desires or a lot of clarity on what I would want to do. But my parents were basically like, Neil, you're going to be a doctor, a medical doctor. <laughs> and they both worked in the sciences, so they were very encouraging of that. They were encouraging of the sciences. They were both engineers, but I think they saw medicine as being an area for growth for society. And they knew that people who um, were in that profession were doing well financially and things like that. And, you know, my parents came from India um, and I was born in New York, um, as was my brother, but they came from India for their kids to have a better life. And they thought that the medical school was a good path. <laughs> so that's how I started college is as a pre-med student, not for any good reason except that my uh, my parents basically told me I had to do it. And uh, because of that, I took the science classes and ultimately took organic chemistry in my second year. And once I took that, that's when I, I really saw something different. So you're at NYU. And what happened that led you to decide to focus on chemistry? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I took that organic chemistry class. You know, fun thing, um, especially for any students who listen to this, is uh, I actually declared a chemistry major because at the time, the chemistry advisor would bump up your registration date for courses <laughs> if you were a chemistry major. So I feel a little bad about it, but, you know, I liked it and uh, I stuck with it. And um, that was important. At NYU, they let undergrads be teaching assistants. So I got into teaching. I got into research. I just found people that were like-minded and I realized that was, you know, m much more of a better fit for what I enjoyed and what I could see myself doing compared to going into medical school. But there was an encounter with one of your favorite professors there that I think sort of led you on the path to studying chemistry. Yeah, I think many of us, uh, we forget about these things um, until somebody really pushes you on like, was there, say, a moment that helped to you to realize something that maybe you didn't see before? And um, in my case, the specific moment was this fellow, Professor York Rhodes. And I remember he, uh, you know, we had this test and he told us what the average was. He had posted the answer key, things like that. And I was thinking like, wow, I probably did pretty good relative to others, right? At that time, I mean, the way I operated, it was all about beating the curve and it was all about how are you performing relative to your peers. So basically he hands back my exam and, you know, I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did it right. Like I did pretty well here. And I remember looking at a friend giving him the thumbs up across the room like, yeah, man, I nailed it. Right. That sort of mentality. And, you know, in hindsight, it, it made no sense. And I'll, I'll tell you actually what the professor did. The professor saw me doing this and he <laughs> he looked back at me and he said something like, now, Neil, that's a good score, but you could do better. And I remember being like dude, come on. I, I nailed it, right? I, I killed it on this test. <laughs> but in hindsight, it was crazy because I'd gotten something like a 50 and the exam average was like a 25, mm -hmm. you know, but that was the mentality at the time. I was like so far above the average, I doubled the average or something. So I thought I had done well. But if you think about fundamental understanding to get something like a 50 on exam, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> and so, but I think it was him, you know, specifically 
calling me out on this and not in a way that was humiliating. He said, that's a good score, but you can do better. And he said it in you know such a serious way that I still remember the look on his face. You know, that moment, I think, just helped me step out of, I think, the rut I was in, you know, call it the pre-med rut of just trying to memorize and being satisfied with being the curve. That's what pulled me out of it and let me engage in the subject. So I really do define that as one of the critical moments that let me at least be able to then explore organic chemistry for what it was and seeing if it was a good match for me, which I ultimately found out that it was. You mentioned that you did your undergrad at NYU. You then did your um, doctorate at Caltech and postdoc at UC Irvine. You got to UCLA in 2007. And then your first three years, you were able to set up your lab, work with um, graduate students. And it wasn't until 2010 that you actually had to teach undergrads. And you walk into this you know, seminar with over 400 students, more than can even fit in the seats. And that must have been very intimidating, right? So how did you come up with a strategy for engaging that number of students? Sure. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, the million dollar questions. And the answer is that you really have to learn on the fly. So when I started at UCLA, you know, huge focus on the, you know, ensuring your research lab is successful. And along those lines, my primary teaching assignments for my first three years were teaching graduate student courses. And that's all good, right? You recruit some of those students, they come and they work in your lab. But it's interesting, the mentality was definitely for me like, oh no, now I have to go and teach undergrads. <laughs> right. Like it was going to be um, the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it's, a, it's an obligation. It's going to get in the way of my research. So that's the mentality going in. And uh, yeah, I can say it's intimidating. You go in and, you know, hundreds of students staring at you and you know they're smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. These are really bright um, students. And if you're worried that they're going in and they already hate organic chemistry, they don't know you. It's your first time teaching. And typically first time teachers are going to screw up a couple of things. And students know that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I'd say I was pretty terrified. But what I started to realize is that um, the students were there to learn. And I think students would ask questions that showed that they were they were learning. And humor is, is an important part of this, right? I like to have fun with the students. I think showing them that I'm, a, you know, somewhat of a normal person was helpful because then students start embracing that and that becomes the culture of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a lot of fun in that class, it turns out. And again, this is the first time I ever taught one of these things. A student sent me, it was like a YouTube video of two guys rapping organic chemistry. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was entertaining. And I decided, you know, it was like this, he sent this to me on a Thursday night, I said, Okay, well, tomorrow's Friday, class is at one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to show this video at the end of the class, help lead that into the weekend for them to, you know, just relax a little bit and start thinking, hey, this stuff is kind of fun. So I showed this video. And um, people were laughing. And at the end, I just said, Hey, you know, I mean, we're here in LA, if we, um, you know, if people wanted to make like a proper music video to organic chemistry, I'd be down. We could talk about some extra credit, something like that. And the place like erupted, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it kind of got rushed at the at the front. People said, can we really do this? How do we do it? And, you know, this, by the way, is 10 years ago. This is before music videos for science classes and whatnot were a thing. Uh -huh. You know, um, so uh, we came up with an assignment and yeah, students love these videos <laughs> and they are so good, you know, so we have a hall of fame on my website where you can view the best, but, um, you know, hundreds of um, these videos where students work 
by themselves or in teams to make organic chemistry music videos. Hundreds of these are online. To consider a proxolvents, no hinder SN1 solvent reaction. Look out for some 3C action. Three steps DND. Keep it up. It's 14D. Some of the best ones are like truly spectacular. Just very creative, very fun, very high quality. And some of them are really funny. Yeah. <laughs> too. But they, they obviously learn a lot in the process of um making these videos because we grade them based on how they incorporate organic chemistry. Yeah, they're very impressive. I have to say, like, I wonder how how students have the time to create these videos. And in the end, like, how much extra credit are they actually getting? Is it a significant amount? It's pretty funny. You know, I'll actually work through the, um, the minimal arithmetic to think through how their music video extra credit will impact their grade. And uh, just basically, the, the short story is that for most students, it has no impact on their <laughs> grade from the standpoint of, um, you know, just, okay, you get uh, 10 bonus points added to your lowest score, you know, something like that. I work through that and let them see like, hey, chances are, are very slim. This will make a difference. What does change, though, is that they make these before the final exam. And in that process, they study and they almost everybody works with other people on these video projects, they build study groups, they build camaraderie, right? And all of those things um, come together. And so when they go to take the exam, they're not just ready for it. There's uh, more confidence. There's excitement about it. You know, they know they've learned something in, in that process. So they, in terms of the extra credit points, I don't think it makes a difference, but I think it does make a difference on how they then perform on the final exam, both in terms of their knowledge and their mentality, you know, going into that exam. They really have to nail it, right, to be able to understand it and then be able to put it into song form. You're going to be part of this 10 questions panel on humor. What are other ways that humor uh, plays a role in the way you teach? You know, on the first day of class, you know, really important to set the tone. So we know the students majority are not excited to be there, but that first day has to be really fun. You know, so we do try to integrate humor into the class right from the beginning. So one of the things that I've done for years is, um, you know, kind of play on emotions a little bit. And I'll ask for a volunteer. And this is at the end of the first day of class. Okay. In front of hundreds of people, I'll ask for a volunteer to come down to the front of the room and solve a problem. And they don't know what the problem is. Right. And it's amazing. One student will always raise their hand. <laughs> made one out of 400. And so uh, that brave soul will come down to the front of the room and people are kind of nervous, you know, what's going to happen. And I'll give them a problem and I'll help them with it. It's based on stuff that we just talked about the last five minutes before. And um, I'll close out the class by giving them, I'll, you know, I'll say something about how it's great to be brave and how much I admire that as a quality and you need to put yourself out there if you want to learn. So a little bit of encouragement there. And then I say, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a prize before you go. And um, the prize has been for years, a periodic table beach towel. So being here in Southern California, it seems appropriate. I hold it out. The class, you know, starts laughing. They start applauding. And I say, let's give it up for this student, whoever it is. And it's that combination, you know, of, of taking what's, I think, kind of a frightening experience for some, the thought of volunteering in front of 400 and turning it into something with positivity, something with laughter. They walk out the door 
they're laughing, they're smiling. And it means that when they have to come back to class the next time, they are ready for that experience again, right? They're, they're, they're awaiting that. So I try to set the tone and we do demonstrations. We, we show videos, we do everything we can to make the class fun. And we, we certainly care about making students laugh. That can only lead to increased engagement, increased community. And ultimately, I think better learning outcomes for those students. What are some of the other fun projects that you've had the students do in your class? One of them that's pretty cool is called uh, BACON. It stands for Biology and Chemistry Online Notes. These are short organic chemistry tutorials that are online, and um, they're certainly used at UCLA. It turns out they're used all over the world now. Students log in and they, they uh, you know, spend 10 minutes learning about a topic, but the tutorials connect the organic chemistry and mostly focused on the big concepts. It connects that to medicine, biology, and also references the pop culture. So at the time, there was a lot of Breaking Bad, <laughs> you know, very popular uh, show at the time. So a lot of connections to Breaking Bad and uh, the Big Bang Theory, things like that. Anything that we find that has a connection to chemistry and organic chemistry we would incorporate in those tutorials, help students see that it's all around them. Do you ever encounter skepticism or cynicism from professors that this is not serious, that it's not the way chemistry should be taught? You know, if you keep in mind, 10 years ago when I was doing the music videos, I was an assistant professor, right? I was just, uh, you know, so that's pre-tenure. But yeah, it drew some skepticism because that's not the way that we have taught organic chemistry. And I, I think one colleague of mine even called it a gimmick. It's pretty interesting because at the time, you know, you're a young professor and I didn't really want to engage in arguing about it, right? But what happened over time is that by continuing to do that and continuing to get students excited about organic chemistry, um, using that as leverage to build other educational tools that people use all over the world, now people can't really dispute it. And if anybody wants to, and I've said this to people, if anybody wants to evaluate the exams I give, you know, feel free. These are not easy exams. These students are solving problems I didn't learn how to solve until I was uh, in a PhD program at Caltech. And these are second year undergrads who aren't even um, chemistry or biochemistry majors. They're pre-health students. And they're learning how to solve really tough problems. So I drew some skepticism you know, right away. And I think over time, it, it mostly disappeared. Looking around at the news and, and seeing how many people who refuse to wear masks and think the pandemic's a hoax, are you concerned about the level of um, scientific literacy in this country? And what would you like to see happen to get people to engage with science and not be afraid of it? Yeah, the scientific literacy is a, a huge concern. And, you know, I'll be the first to self-criticize and criticize my own field and say that organic chemists have not done a great job of reaching society, right? I think to most people, it's this foreign language, it's this scary subject, it sounds impossible. But just looking at organic chemistry itself, it's incredibly relevant. And maybe we, those in the science positions, we need to do more to educate the, um, the community at large. We need to educate the world on what all these science topics are. So when you look at COVID and and vaccines and you know climate change, I think these are ultimately failures of the scientific community for not putting enough emphasis on uh, scientific literacy for the world. I mean, it's not viewed as, unfortunately, it's not viewed as like the uh, the primary goal for 
for uh, for many of us, right? Our primary goal is typically to accomplish research, <laughs> you know, secure grant funding and, and publish these these papers. The the academic system doesn't entirely incentivize, uh, make it and you know attractive for somebody like me to spend time trying to engage the broader community, right? But certainly, um, I'm happy to talk about this if you'd like. But we also have efforts that are, are geared toward the educating the general public. Oh, like what? Sure. So the uh, most important thing that we've done is um, we have a coloring book. It's called the Organic Coloring Book. And this is written by my, uh, I'm a father of four, by the way. This is written by my daughters and I. At the time, they were nine and four. And uh, we wrote a coloring book. It, it just says simple things like what makes candy taste yummy. And it says sucrose. And it tells you a little bit more. And it gives you the chemical structure that the kids can color in. And I really did this as a a father-daughter bonding experience, if you will, to get started. But as it started to come together as a project, and then when we ultimately finished it, we really saw that there was huge benefit in in this because the kids would color it, they got some minimal exposure to it, and then the parents would see it, right? They would look at it with their kids. And now all of a sudden they start seeing what these organic molecules are. They start understanding what is organic chemistry. They start understanding you know, little things about molecular structure that for whatever reason, they've never seen before. (laughs) So, you know, that's a step in the right direction. We just followed it up with um, a second edition of that coloring book called Cheesy Goes to the Doctor. There's a little mouse character who now goes and gets all these medicines um, from the doctor. Again, all organic molecules. And perhaps in a few days or a few weeks, the third installment will come out. And that's called the Adult Organic Coloring Book. And you can imagine we've chosen some slightly more adult-themed topics um, to address in that book, and we hope that'll do a good thing for the general population. Something that people may not know about you is that you live in the student dorms as a faculty in residence. Um, What is that like, being married with four kids and living in student dorms? Yeah, living in the dorms uh, at UCLA is awesome. So when I was in college at NYU, I was a resident assistant. So I lived on a floor and I, you know, put on programs and actually, you know, in hindsight, learned a lot of lessons about diversity, conflict resolution. I mean, you name it. (laughs) There are so many different experiences that I learned from during that. And so UCLA has a program where professors, about 20 of us, live in the dormitories. We're called faculty and residents. I'll say I think it was harder for me to get a position as a faculty in residence than it was to get hired in chemistry and biochemistry, <laughs> right? Really, you know, we're challenging because there are 20 professors living amongst 12,000 undergraduate students. So I'll just say it's a uh, super cool. We um, spend time with students. We eat meals with them in the dining halls. It's a wonderful thing. And it's a great thing for our kids as well, because they're growing up with UCLA students as their role models and UCLA students are, uh, are just awesome. So I think it's been a win-win. We've been here for nine years or so now, and uh, we feel very lucky to have this opportunity to be part of the UCLA community and, again, have lots of interactions with students. That was Neil Garg, a distinguished professor and the Kenneth N. Trueblood Endowed Chair in Chemistry and Biochemistry at UCLA. You can hear him speak on November 16th at the UCLA 10 Questions Reckoning event responding to the question, what is humor? Alongside writer and director Dominic Taylor and cognitive psychologist and author Scott Weems. 
I'm Avishai Artsy, and this has been Works in Progress. This podcast is a production of the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. Our music is composed by Austin Danson. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.